Welcome to the Sweater Vest Dialogues with Dr. James White and Douglas Wilson. This month, the guys catch up for a few minutes before jumping into their testimonies and then wrap up talking about their love for the word. If you are listening to this and you haven't had the opportunity to rate and review this channel, please do. The better the reviews and the more five-star ratings allows us to end up in more places. So if you could take a few minutes and do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And now, enjoy the conversation. Well, greetings once again, uh, Doug Wilson. I, uh, I don't know what kind of weather you all have this time of year up there in... Um, I'm not sure right now, given the national situation, you actually want anyone to know exactly where you are, uh, <laughs> given some yeah. given some of the things that you're saying. Well, but, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that it's so gorgeous that I almost didn't wear a sweater vest this morning. And, trust me. And I thought, oh no, I'm recording with James. I gotta wear. <laughs> I've gotta. I've I'm, gotta. But I almost didn't. I'm gonna leave mine here at the office, and I have a fan over here. And and if you've ever have went, have you ever been to Phoenix? Oh, I have. Yes. Uh, what time of year? <laughs> Wrong time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then then you know why I won't even bother taking it home, and I'll have to have like three fans going come July uh, right. if we want to continue with this uh, particular thing. Of course, but, it might have uh, been the right time, and I just thought it was the wrong time. Well, that's true. That's true. That's well, anyone who arrives somewhere between the middle of May and I'd say actually early October, uh, it's pretty much the wrong time to be to be yeah. here, unless you really like heat. Then it's then it's then it's okay, but. Anyway, it's uh, it is beautiful here too. Uh, we are in a uh, still in a, a lockdown situation. The last time we were together, we were hoping we were going to be. I was all excited about taco time. I can't tell you how disappointed I am uh, that I that you all didn't even bother to like buy me a couple of crisp meat burritos. Yeah, and we, and we would have had you come. Well, yeah, I know, but um, uh, things have gotten weird in our in our country. And uh, did you notice today? Before we get into our real topic, did you notice today that briefly oil went negative? It <laughs> you actually had to pay someone to take your oil for a while today in the markets. Um, that's weird. That is uh, yeah. that that's that's very very strange. And you, of course have made yourself just as lovable and accepted by major media by some of the things you said. In fact, you've gotten yourself censored by by big tech. I'd like to congratulate you on that. Well, um, thank you. Uh, thank you. Although I, I, I do have to say that um, thanks to the Washington Examiner and, uh, well, Rod Dreher first and then the Washington Examiner, uh, Google reinstated our app. So we're back. You're back. Okay. Yes. But have you ever... Have you ever had anyone write an article about you that was more, oh, I hate doing it. I do not want to press the next keystroke. Please stop me. Someone shoot me. Yeah, ow, have you ever ow, seen ow. anything like that? It was very painful. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was astonishing. I, I was reading it just cackling because it was like, oh, I don't want to have to say anything nice about this man. Please stop. Right. But he, well, but he. Well, the thing that struck me about that was he did he turned himself inside out doing that, and then had to post a little postscript thing at the end. Yeah, yeah. Because even that was way too much for some people. Yeah, yeah. They, they well, they still they still were like, "How could you defend him?" And it's no, it, that's you missed the point. 
Yeah. Oh, it was that was that was that was amazing. I, I have a feeling though that it's not as amazing as some of the stuff that's gonna be heading our direction. Yeah, we and need, uh we need to get to you need to get used to some of this stuff. Um how? Uh, how how do we get used to some of this stuff? The the te- the technocratic totalitarians are they're not banging on the door. They they are putting the handcuffs on. I mean, they are that they are that close. It is an amazing thing to be observing with uh, Facebook taking down anyone who's uh, uh, talking about organizing a protest and all the rest of this stuff. It is, I, I am sure your guys up there have been working on how to maintain a presence once the big brother doesn't want us there anymore, but it's, uh, it's going to be challenging. There's, there's some yeah, ways about it's it. It's really going to be challenging. Um, and part of this is when they throw the big breaker and, and throw all the Christians off of, social media that's not the time for us to be trying to build one of our own exactly um, yeah yeah and the yeah. the thing the thing that's interesting about these planners the, the people who want to control everything william buckley william f buckley once said a liberal is someone when you, you're in the shower and you're taking a shower the liberal is the one who reaches in and adjusts the temperature for you <laughs> yes <laughs> he they the planners know what's best and the uh, in their own minds and the thing that is that they they're they don't object to the doctrine of predestination they object to the doctrine of predestination by god that's right that's they, right they that's they exactly want right. they want to be the predestinators yeah no no liberals liberals are one thing uh, totalitarian technocrats not only adjust the water they put a camera uh, in the shower with you and tell you when you can get in and out and when you can wash. So yeah. that, that it's, yeah. it's China, China wants everything. And uh, unfortunately we've got a lot of people over here that are more than willing to go with it. A lot of things we could talk about there. I'm sure you're probably tired of, of all of that. Um, but one of the things that I suggested was uh, in the midst of all of the insanity and the craziness and um, looking at the future and, I'm you're you're in the same boat I am. Um, we just had the wonderful privilege of my daughter and her husband and their four kids moving back to Phoenix. They were sort of in a brief Babylonian exile in well in Babylon. It was Las Vegas. That's pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're back. And so the past uh, number of weeks, um, I've been sitting at Apologia Church with uh, my 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 grandkids around me, and and it's it's awesome and wonderful and and all that kind of fun stuff that you know real well. Um, but that also makes me think a, a tremendous amount about the future and about what they're going to be facing. I'm I'm not sure if you've written anything yet about the uh, Arizona law article that was featured in the Harvard uh, Journal. Uh, the uh, professor that was about about homeschooling and the dangers of homeschooling and, and everything <laughs> along those lines. Um, you may have already beaten us to all of that, but the, the point is that was an incredible statist, anti-Christian, those people are loathsome type of a of a thing that has gotten a tremendous amount of of publicity and a lot of a lot of readership. And you and I both know that's exactly how the elites at Harvard and Yale view us and exactly what they'd like to see done by force of law is to do what's done, for example, in Germany, uh, where you're not allowed to have any type of, uh, of homeschooling, uh, situation. Yeah. 
Um, I'm not I'm not written in response to that article um, yet. I may. But I did read and this was choice that in the graphic that accompanied the article, there were some textbooks there on the binding of which they misspelled arithmetic on one of them. Um, And it was uh, they're talking about the dangers of homeschooling. And and they uh, and they they misspelled one of the books and uh, they fixed it when it was pointed out, which meant that it wasn't done on purpose. Yeah, some people had speculated that maybe it was that way to mock homeschoolers. But if they if they changed it, then yeah, definitely um, that that was what was going on there. Obviously, all of this um, they the state wants to be God. Right. Uh, the state wants to be worshipped. Uh, Xi Jinping, I I believe, has utter and complete delusions of godhood. Um, and wants to be worshipped by his people as a deity. And the greatest thing staying in the way um, is an objective revelation from God that's unchanging and has been uh, entrusted to the people of God. And for some weird reason, for generation after generation, in language after language, it captures people's hearts and minds and makes them completely different people. Yes. And that's... That's that's really worthy. You know, we saw that hatred during the years of the Roman Caesars when they when they went after the scriptures and they tried to destroy the scriptures and they would. There is even a category of of apostate in the early church called a traditor, yeah. a person who gave up uh, the Christian scriptures. Or sometimes it wasn't even the scriptures, but the Roman soldier didn't know the difference. But still, they were called traditors because they gave up those those scriptures. Caesar knew that the destruction of those sacred texts was vitally, vitally important. And yet we live in a day today where the very idea of believing in sacred texts is enough to make someone look at you like you're clearly uneducated, you're, you clearly have the IQ of a wet shoelace. Um, we, however, see the scriptures very, very, very differently. And for me, that's what gives me um, strength in the midst of all this is the world cannot destroy those scriptures and the message that they they contain. And as long as we continue teaching those things, it may be very, very costly. Um, but Christ is going to continue to build his church. Yeah. Amen. And and the thing that, you know, you look at your your kids and your grandkids and you and you think about the kind of world that we're passing on to them. You know, mm. <laughs> you know here, here, kid, uh, good luck. Uh, yeah. Well, there's more than luck involved because we're we're bequeathing to them kind of a messed up world, but also in the grace of God, we we are enabled to pass on to them the scriptures. We we can God's word is uh, not one that can return void, and one of the things that encourages me constantly when I look at the blind folly that appears to be driving much decision making. And that is in the long run, in the long run, spiritual stupidity never works. It, it can't work. You can't make water flow uphill. You can't make boys into girls. You can't make girls into boys. You can't make triangles have four sides. You, I'm sorry, you just can't. And if our children and our grandchildren are the heirs of the Word of God and a love for the Word of God that we've passed down to them, they are immunized. How did, uh, well, let, let me, 
I know we're having technical issues today and we can't really see each other all, all that well, but we're pretending like we can. Right. Um, right. Uh, and by the way, you're, in fact, you're, up to this sweat- point, we had them all fooled. <laughs> Your sweater vest looks great today. Uh, I'm wearing one too. Yeah. Um, but I'm holding in my hand uh, the first Bible that I read all the way through. And I don't know if you've ever heard the story, but you know who I get to credit for challenging me to do that was Jack Chick. Really? Now you remember you remember Jack Chick, right? I, I do. Um, Jack Chick, uh, I was sent to the principal's office in fourth grade for passing out tracks on the playground. They were Jack Chick tracks. Okay. So when I walked into the principal's office, the only thing I could think to do was to walk up to his desk and hand him one too. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Jack Chick had a tract that had a guy. For some reason, he's always always killing people off and they go to heaven, and he's walking the streets of gold and Habakkuk walks up to him and says, what did you think of my book? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to realize that if I died that night and Habakkuk asked, I didn't have a clue. And so that night I read Habakkuk, but then of course I realized what if it's Nahum? <laughs> right. So that's right. what got me thinking. I need to read the whole thing. And just the very Bible, it is still one of the finest Bibles I own. It's an Oxford. Uh, the leather is just awesome. It's thumb indexed. I hope you don't mind, but it's a it's a new Schofield reference Bible. <laughs> but uh, but this was the one. And and the funny, the sad thing is, I could not read this now if if my life depended upon it because the the print is far 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 too small for eyes that are 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 as old as mine. Um, but this was this was the one that. I would get up early in the morning before school and I had the, you know, whole nine thing and the whole nine yards. I went through the whole thing. Right. So I was raised in a Christian family. I believe you were as well, right? Yes. Yes. And so I had the example of parents who love the word of God. I still have, I just gave to my daughter uh, who, you know, but who, you know, better than I know you as far as the amount of time spent together. Um, I just gave to her one of her grandmother's uh, little New Testaments that had her writing in it. I mm-hmm. still have one of her Bibles. My parents always had Bibles. They were they were they. That was just part of my my upbringing. But there was a time, obviously, in each one of our lives when that transitioned from what I had been given to something that was now mine by conviction by by I. I embrace this. This is this is the word of God. Um, how did that um, How did that happen for you? Uh, similar experiences or what? Uh, yeah. So uh, I grew up in the postmodernists used it as a taunt, uh, but I grew up in a very logo centric family. Um, it was a word. It was a word centered uh, family, and uh, you know my my dad was converted when he was. Um, at the Naval Academy. My mom was converted when she was 16 at a Christian Missionary Alliance revival uh, meeting. And so uh, my parents were first-generation Christians. They, they, were, uh, they were converted out of the world, and uh, they were starting from ground zero. Uh, we were privileged to grow up in a Christian home uh, that, where they were dedicated all into the Word of God and figuring things out as they went. Uh, in fact, when my mom was converted, <laughs> the way that happened is she was at this revival meeting, and she was there with a friend 
who later wound up marrying a Presbyterian minister. She was there with a friend, and a, and they gave the invitation, and a little old lady came up and tapped my my mom's friend, you know, like, it's time for you to go forward, young lady. And um, and this, uh, we called her Aunt Dottie. Uh, Aunt Dottie was not about to go down there by herself, so she grabbed my mom, and they went <laughs> forward together. Well, my mom went home and told her family, told her brothers, that she'd been saved. And they said, what, is, what does that mean? And right. she said, well, I shook the preacher's hand. Mm. When, so there was not, you know, not a lot of light at that point. But mm-hmm. the next morning, because she was a Christian now, she got up and started reading her Bible. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> and that was, that was what did it. That, you know, the, the, the transformation uh, began there, and it was the it was the gospel preached, and then the word, basically the word, and she was a woman of the word all the way through. Well, what what happened? I grew up in a family where we we memorized, uh, we would um, you know internalize the the word. We, it was read at the dinner table. Um, we went to a church where in the, this is probably not legal anymore, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a Southern Baptist church. And in Sunday school classes, um, they would have uh, sword drills. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so you'd line the kids up in two rows, and everybody would have a Bible in their left hand, and someone would call out a reference, go, and all yep. the kids would try to find Habakkuk 2, 3 in, in <laughs> as, as fast as they could. And you learned all sorts of tricks. If you look at the binding, uh, halfway, <laughs> halfway is the Psalms. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And then you go right or left. You turn right or turn left from there, depending. You we memorize the books books of the Bible and you know mm-hmm. all of that. Well, I I grew up in a family where that was valued. That was just the way it was. It um, and I began seriously trying to apply what my parents were teaching when I was fifteen or sixteen, but I didn't really um, have to stand on my own two feet with regard to all this until I joined the Navy. So mm. uh, when I went in the Navy when I was 18, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, this is either my folks' Christianity or it's mine. Right. Um, and I, I need to make a, I need to make a point of living this out. If I'm going to, if I'm going to do this at all, I need to, I need to do it on my own. And, um, and that's basically, that's where I, I would say I self-consciously owned it come hell or high water. You know, right. before that, I was I was wanting to be a good Christian kid, and I wanted to honor my folks, and, and it wasn't like I disbelieved it, but it wasn't until I launched that I had to, you know, really uh, yep. grasp it for myself. Oh, yeah. I think that's the, the experience of a lot of us that had. Now, I wouldn't trade my, my childhood. I wouldn't trade uh, the earliest memories I have are of church and my my dad preaching, my mom playing the piano. Um, I, I wouldn't trade any of that uh, for the most quote unquote exciting testimony that uh, anyone has I've ever heard give, uh, because I, I think that's incredibly exciting that yeah. God would be so gracious as to as to protect someone from all of that type of stuff and and be gracious to them at a young age. I think that's I think I'm a, I've been greatly blessed along those lines. A uh, 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 hundred amens. And the, there's an optical illusion in evangelical circles about, about that because um, 
I I grew up in a wonderful home. My my parents were godly, saintly people. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, at the same time, I grew up in an evangelical tradition where, you know, I'll just make up an example, but you'll know what I mean. You know, there's a special Sunday evening service at church, and everybody comes out, and there's a special uh, a special speaker they brought in, and he was converted on death row because he used to ride with the Hell's Angels, and he shot a guy and uh, was con- converted on death row. Hang on a second. Are we still there? I, I, I'm hearing you. Somebody called me. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I think it's the Zoom Meisters in China. <laughs> they they probably they probably uh, figured out that we're talking about Jesus and they wanted to interrupt. That's right. Uh, um, so, what was I talking about? You're talking about the 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 guy in death row. <laughs> yeah. So you've got you you've got the guy with the lurid testimony, and right. and and he has this Damascus Road experience and he's really converted. And God bless him, and it's wonder, wonderful uh, that he got converted in that Damascus Road kind of way. Right. But God gives a strict command to Christian parents to not let their children have that kind of testimony, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, um, and so we thank God. We thank God when He saves, uh, you know, radical sinners. We thank. Yep. We think that's. But that ought not to be the norm that Christian parents set up. Because otherwise, what you're going to have is Christian kids stray, go sow their wild oats in order that they can have something that's almost as good as a conversion testimony, which is a rededication testimony. Right, right, exactly. Right? Yeah. You've got to send up a storm in order to know uh, that you're saved. Well, you don't need to know what time the sun rose to know that it's up. Right, right. So, I, uh, interestingly enough, you know, you went off into the Navy. Um, that was my intention in uh, junior high and high school. Uh, I wanted to go to either Naval Academy, or the Air Force Academy, and I knew as a result, that's why I was valedictorian in my junior high school, valedictorian in my high school, uh, because I knew with my eyes, I was gonna have to have like the best grades on the planet to sneak into a place like that. Um, and then it was uh, pretty much between my uh, sophomore and junior years uh, that the Lord hit me upside the head and said, no, that's, that's not where you're going. That's not what I, what I have for you. And that's really uh, where I started to delve into the word. I mean, I'd, I'd always listened. I had actually listened to my dad's sermons. I remember some of my dad's sermon illustrations. Be honest, Doug, have you ever stolen any of your dad's sermons illustrations? Oh, stealing is not the right word. I've, I've, <laughs> I've inherited. Appropriated? I've inherited. inherited, I inherited them. (laughs) I've always given credit where credit was due, but some of my, some of the best illustrations I I got from my dad. So, and he probably got them from somebody else. That's, that's, that's the way it's supposed to work. One time my dad was preaching at an evening service and um, he had a characteristic, a little quirk that he would count on his finger, like number one, number two, number three. And it was always the same finger, you know? One, two, three. And he was going through that routine. One, two. And he looked down at the front row and all three of the all three of us kids at that point, there's four, a fourth later. But we're all sitting there with our, you know, copying him while he's up there. <laughs> so we just, were paying just attention. Just a reminder that, that you all had been paying close attention very for all close, those years. Very close attention. 
yes, very close attention. And, and I'm glad I did. And, um, and yet that's when I really started uh, diving into, you know, I, 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 my dad had gone to Moody. Uh, I remember him talking about Skipper Wiest, Kenneth Wiest, his, his uh, Greek professor. In fact, uh, one of the sayings there at Moody uh, was there were two tracks. You could do the pastoral track or the missionary track. And the only difference between the two was you had to take Kenneth Weiss Greek class if you took the pastoral class, pa pastoral track. And so the saying there at Moody was Kenneth Weiss sent more men to the mission field than anyone else uh, ever had. <laughs> and uh, so, but my dad took the pastoral side, thankfully, because uh, when I started getting, as soon as I started getting into the word, then I, I started having this desire to know it more deeply. And he was more than happy to traipse off to the Christian bookstore with me. This was before internet and things like that. Uh, to buy me Kenneth Wee stuff and A.T. Robertson's word studies and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And I started, I started diving into it. And that's also when I started memorizing right. uh, the scriptures. And uh, that was not the, let's see if you remember this. The, the first thing that I can remember where someone other than like vacation Bible school, where during the summer you memorize a certain number of verses so that you didn't get you know, you didn't have to be it and playing tag during the break during VBS or whatever else it might have been. Um, I, I do remember memorizing a few sections out of section 119, Psalm 119 or something like that because of that. But to actually be memorizing in an organized fashion, I remember, uh, do you remember uh, the little like blue glow in the dark um, crosses that you that sometimes they'd give to kids and it was a reminder uh, to pray before going to bed. But I remember mine had something about memorizing the word of God or something like that. And so the, the last thing I'd see as I was going to bed is, man, I need to be memorizing the word of God because I'd see <laughs> that thing glowing in the glowing in the dark. I still, still love that, uh, that reality. But that's when I really started in an organized fashion, memorizing uh, the word of God. And I don't know about you. It's not as easy to do at my age as it was when I was younger. No, and I, I'm a, uh, uh, since this is a victim culture, I will, uh, share my victim story here. <laughs> um, so I grew up when I, when I was a kid, everybody used the King James. So right. my basically my pilgrimage was King James, RSV. Then I, I moved when I was in the Navy to the New American Standard. I used that for about five years. And the New American Standard was good in a lot of ways, but it was sort of like a like a committee of engineers trying to write a phone book, you know. <laughs> Come on, ouch! <laughs> you know it. It didn't. It didn't flow. Um, uh, so I used the New, New American Standard for a number of years. Then I moved to the NIV when everybody else did. You know when when it was the hot thing. Well, not even I have ever done that. Yeah, so I, I I descended to the depths. This is <laughs> this is my lurid testimony. Um, so I used the NIV again for a number of years. And then, like a chiasm, started coming back out, coming back out again. Um, and so I moved to the New King James, and then the King James. Well, the end result is uh, a lot of my memorization work has been simply wanting to read and reread and reread and reread uh, the scripture. So I might not be able to tell you what the house and street number is, but I could mm -hmm. tell you that that verse is on the lower left-hand side of the page. You know, right, that right. kind of thing. Uh, well, the problem is that with all those different translations that I spent a lot of time reading, when I'm preaching uh, and I get to a passage and I, and I don't want to turn to it and I just qu quote a passage, there right. is no telling what's going to come out 
Exactly. You know, yeah. um, at least in the old days, when there was one translation, if you were, you were either uh, paraphrasing or you were quoting, and everybody knew what was what. Well, right. now I've got my very own polyglot <laughs> bouncing around in my head. You've you've got stuff coming out with uh, King James followed by the NIV followed by the RSV and yeah. and no one could ever find it if they tried. And, and people that. are looking up there at me saying, "What goeth on? He wots not." <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I had similar situation because, like I said, the first Bible, this one right here that I read, uh, was was well the new Schofield King James, which isn't really the King James if you're King James only. But um, and then the the church that we went to for a long period of time was new american standards so uh the nasb ends up in there in there a whole lot as well but yeah i i wanted i want i had started memorizing scripture because i wanted to have that discipline and then i met my first two mormon missionaries uh -huh. and that's what got me into witnessing the mormons going out to the lds temple i've i've spoke with more than five thousand of those young gentlemen and especially back then, I realized uh, when you're in a conversation with a Mormon, you don't have time to be turning to the 28th book of the New Testament called Concordance. Yeah. Uh, you, you better know if you want to control the conversation and get it where it's going to be useful, then you need to have a scripture memorized. You have and to have so, the word at your fingertips. You do. You do. That's the only way to control those, those situations, especially when you're talking to someone who uh, has the Bible at least as some type of authority and are going to be making reference to it. Right. Uh, that's, that's extremely important. And so that's when the memorization uh, started coming along. But it was also at that time, Doug, that, uh, you know, the first, I, I imagine uh, my, my mom tells me, and I do remember this, uh, when I was nine years old, she took me to work one day. She worked at a, at a printing press, printing facility, and she looked around to try to find me once, couldn't find me, went back in the back where the presses were, and found me arguing with a group of adult pressmen about the existence of God. I was nine <laughs> years old. And I remember this. They were mountains. They were huge. Uh, they were, I, I just I don't, I don't even remember how I got started. But they probably threw some stuff at me that I didn't remember. But it was really the missionaries that started throwing questions about the consistency and the interpretation of the scriptures at me. Right. And that's where... I really started realizing this is a vitally important aspect of, of what, what I need to be studying and understanding. So when I went to seminary and Bible college, uh, the classes that I was most interested in were the ones where everybody else was asleep. Uh -huh. And that was New Testament background, Old Testament background, all the context, the history. Everybody else was just bored out of their minds and I was hanging on every word because I knew this was gold in dealing with those really challenging issues. But when you so in the Navy, I assume you started getting some pushback. Was there a specific time period where you realized this is I've really got to know the background and the content and everything else, because there's a lot of people out here that don't believe and they're going to have objections. Uh, it, what it boiled down to was I found myself during my time in the Navy um, just under four years. I was in the submarine service. And uh, the, well, I was on the USS. That explains a lot right there. What's that? <laughs> that explains a lot right there. <laughs> that, that, if you know, it explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so, Every submariner I've ever met 
has a few little ticks, a few little quirks. There's yeah. no two ways about it. We used to walk around. We'd be submerged for two and a half months. And guys would walk around the submarine going, I'm saving money. I'm saving money. I'm saving money. So that, there, there, there were some upsides. Um, so one of the things I found myself doing was uh, what I, I now call street-level apologetics. So right. the Navy is not exactly a bastion of righteousness. If you, and, and so a lot of these guys, you know, they were, they were drawn from every you know, corner of America. And so all the standard objections that learned academics trot out, they, they will trot out. Isn't, you know, isn't the Bible just written by men and isn't like a telephone game and where did Cain get his wife? And, you know, just all of the, all of the standard things that you throw at, throw at an evangelist or an apologist or, and oftentimes an evangelist needs to be, um, if he's if he doesn't go into it with apologetics in mind, he's going to be backed into the position where he needs to become an apologist right. uh, very quickly because he can't just say, "Let me finish my sentence," and I'm telling you this is beca- telling you this because it's true, and don't contradict me. You know, Christianity is true because it begins with letter C. You've <laughs> you've got to do better than that, right? And and so uh, when I would interact with these guys, I, I need to throw something else in. My family was the kind of family that really loved uh, debate and argument, um, mm. at not, not because anybody was out of fellowship, but because it was like an indoor sport. It was like a game. So at the dinner table, you would uh, guess, you know, someone would float some idea and then everybody would be debating and discussing this idea over the dinner table. So the clash of ideas was something that I always associated with mother's cooking and brown gravy and isn't this wonderful. Um, and, and Nancy tells the story of the first time, <laughs> the first time she came over to our house after we were together and the, and the family <laughs> exploded into this discussion and she's thinking to herself, crikey, you know what, what is going on? Um, <laughs> Well, in the Navy, when the when the other sailors would gang up on me and come after come after me over this issue or that one, um, there was a side of me that liked it too much, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or liked it in the wrong way. You know, it wasn't right. um, it wasn't everything it ought to have been. I had a lot of conversations with guys, and I remember, uh, you know, the the Tusk was the, the submarine I was on um, for the first year and a half. And then I was on, uh, that was a diesel boat. And then I was on a fast attack, uh, submarine for the second uh, half of my stint. The first half of my first submarine, I had lots of conversations and no, no one coming to Christ. And I remember talking to my dad, uh, on the phone. It was actually, it was a phone booth. You might want to tell your grandkids and kids what those were. Yeah, that's right. Right. So I was in a phone booth and I was talking to my dad about all these conversations and no fruit, no, all these conversations and no conversions. And uh, my dad quoted to me uh, and in the King James what he had memorized. He had memorized a pile of verses uh, back when he, back when he was in the Navy. He was uh, a protege of Dawson Trotman's of, uh, of the Navigators and had memorized a lot of verses. And my dad quoted to me, avoid foolish and unlearned arguments, for they do gender strife. 
and the servant of the Lord must not strive. All right, so basically, he and my dad told me the point is to win the man, not to win the argument. And mm-hmm. of course, sometimes in order to win the man, you must win the argument or you must be the master of the argument. You, But you have to know what the argument's for. Um, you don't want to win an argument just so you can cut another notch in your Bible exactly. and and go off leaving the fellow unconverted. Right. So uh, I tried to be, in the next nine months, I tried to be as um, focused on winning the man and not the argument, not just have it be a mere clash of ideas and isn't this wonderful entertainment, um, but to focus on the man. And a number of sailors, I think around 10 sailors came to Christ during that mm. time. And so the first half, lots of fireworks, not not a lot of fruit. And then me trying to not showboat in the argument. Right, right. You, you know, you want to argue, you want to present, you want to engage and do it seriously, but not like you're showing off. You're not, you're not a gunslinger. You're, right. you're an evangelist. Right. So in in those challenging times when I was I was pressed, uh, there was a there was an atheist. I don't know if you ever heard of Dennis McKenzie. He had a he had a publication called Biblical Errancy back in the 1980s, and um, I started receiving his his uh, it's like three eight and a half by eleven photocopied on both sides type thing. And so I started dealing with his accusations of errors in the Bible and, and, and things like that. And I, the, the harder I was pressed, the more I was forced to go into the text, the more I began to realize that the vast majority of objections to Scripture are based upon our own ignorances, right. not the actual errors of the text itself. Right. And uh, over the years now, over the decades of preaching and teaching, uh, defending <clears throat> the scriptures, I, I, no one could ever predict every question that would be asked, obviously. And there would be, someone might have a take that I'd never even considered about, you know, whatever. And of course, when we're talking about the, about the Tanakh, we're talking about uh, historical works in the Old Testament, you're talking about stuff that happened so many thousands of years ago. There's there's no way to have sufficient context and everything else to provide some kind of um, modern standard type defense of, of whatever it might be. But what I learned uh, over the years was to just experience amazement at the consistency of the well, this this sounds a little bit weird, but let me just express the way the beauty of the woven fabric of the biblical revelation, how you'll have glorious threads, multicolored threads that'll be in one story and then and then a few books later, all of a sudden one of those threads comes back up and it it's seen in another light and it's 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 woven all the way through the fabric of the entirety of the text of scripture. And when I went to seminary, I very quickly realized that I would never want to be a liberal because I don't even know why they do what they do. Yeah. If you believe the Bible is a bunch of, of contradictory, edited, um, incoherent, inconsistent stories, why in the world do you get a job teaching it? I, do, I don't even begin to understand it. It's, not, it's just not beautiful if it is not telling 
a seamless robed story of what God's doing in this world. It's just not only is it not beautiful, but neither is your life beautiful. Oh, most definitely. Because how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. If you're just saying, uh, uh, hey, everybody, I got some news. There's some contradictions here. (laughs) Yeah, that's. Well, and and I still listen to those. I, I, you know, I had some great professors who were brilliant men, but I just didn't understand how they could get up in the morning and and go on because of what they actually ended up believing about all that. But that's that's for me what what became part of the very love affair with the scriptures is if you see that they are as a if in other words if you view the Bible the way Jesus viewed the Bible. It is an incredibly beautiful thing. You could never exhaust all of its treasures. Finding its consistent message is something that's worthwhile. It gives, it, it gives, it gives reason for you and I to argue about stuff. Because I don't. Right, why in right. the world would you and I do the debates? We eventually will do. We we're going to do it. Supposed to do them a couple weeks ago, but all this uh, pandemic stuff yeah. got in the way. But why would you and I even bother to do that if we didn't both believe that there is an objective? revealed truth from God that we are both committed to. I don't I don't get it. Right. Other we're if if there isn't an objective out there truth, the way the way it actually is and the way it's revealed to be in the word, then we're all on a, a little squirrel cage run. Just Oh yeah. expending energy uh chasing our own ideas or projecting our ideas onto the text. Um and one of I may have uh, I've told this story in different venues, but I've, one of the things my dad did was um, when I was in junior high, he started a junior high Bible study, and his whole point was to teach uh, to teach these young orangutans, junior high students. Oh, junior high students! Oh my! Yeah, yeah uh, how to do an inductive Bible study, <laughs> and so he bought a bunch of Bibles. They were the same edition of the Bible. And he would get, we would have a weekly meeting after school for two hours. The first hour is everybody running around, horsing around in the backyard. And then we'd all come in for an hour-long Bible study. And, uh, and we'd sit down and we'd open our Bible and he would ask questions. Uh, he, and the rule was he would ask a question and the question, we were only allowed to answer the question from the text. So he would the limitation was he would only ask a question if the answer was in the text and we had to answer the question that he asked from the text like we read aloud that Jesus went to Capernaum and he would say where did Jesus go and then we'd all say Capernaum well one time he asked a question and we were all sitting there and this was a this is burned into my memory we were all sitting in a circle with our bibles open on our laps he asked the question and we were all looking at him and he said the answer is not on my forehead, right? And that's wonderful. That's glorious. The answer is not on my forehead. The answer is not the Pope. The answer is not the teacher up there, the, not the man in the pulpit. He's The man in the pulpit has authority only insofar as he's opening the Word of God. And you've got an open Bible there as well, and you can look at what he's saying and hold what he's saying up next to what the Apostle Paul was saying or the Apostle Peter was saying. The a uh, lot of human teachers need to realize the answer is not on my forehead. That's not where the authority lies. Right. Well, uh, and by the way, setting up something like that for junior high school students, I personally believe that during the junior high school years, the the line goes down below human 
into some other part of existence and pops back up about freshman year in high school. And so anybody who does ministry in that time, just, it's a hero, absolute yeah. hero. Um, I, as being, being involved in Christian education, I, you know, I oftentimes look at, at students coming in, the incoming freshmen of either high school or whatever, you look at the crop and you despair of Western civilization. <laughs> and, uh, and then, well, our parents did that with us too. <laughs> a few years later, one of those kids is standing up giving a valedictorian address that right. just blows the doors off. And you think, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh. yeah there's, there's you know, no there's, choice about it. There may be hope glimmering uh, yet. There is. There is. Well, look, the Lord used us so he can, uh, he, he can, he can use the bottom, bottom of the, of the drawers. So, so do, do you, do you resonate when I speak of the beauty of the consistency of scripture across the canon? Does that, absolutely. It, it, Yes, I mean that. That to me is just when people when people talk when when my fellow believers talk about divine evidences. I, I think of, for example, Romans chapter one and the the fact that there is a description of mankind wherever he is, in whatever age he is, whatever language he's speaking. It doesn't matter. The insights into man's character and nature in that section dwarf anything that man has ever written about himself. I mean, that's, that's yeah. just stunning to me. One of the confessions really, yeah. says the harmony, the harmony of the parts. Basically yes. when you can, when you consider the, the expanse of time that scripture, you know, it's a collection of 66 books and, and, and there's an optical illusion for some because they think of it's a book, but it's a library of right, books, not only over the course of, uh, centuries, but over the course of millennia. millennia. And then you see the harmony of something in Genesis with something in First John. Right. Right. And you see how they just click naturally together. And you have some sort of uh, sense, because you've been reading the Bible all these years, you have some sort of historical sense, how much time has gone, how much time has gone by. And so, uh, one of the things I, uh, this is kind of trippy, but the beginning of Genesis and the end of Genesis, um, Joseph, basically, Joseph at the end of Genesis was as close to Charlemagne as he was to Adam. Wow. Okay. So that that one book of the Bible, Genesis, ex, you know, covers a lot of territory. And... And so you look at you look at this statement that harmonizes, or you look at the uh, the allusions that the the New Testament writers, who were absolutely marinated in right. the in the Old Testament scriptures, mm -hmm. and you and you say, oh, I got there's an echo. Oh, I hear, I picked up on that. Oh, and the more the more we read, the more we realize how much intertextuality there is between all the books there is and it's and it's a beautiful it's not just the technical intertextuality though that's extremely important there's no question in interpretation everything else but the harmony uh that creates this symphony of divine revelation I've, like i said earlier that's how jesus clearly viewed the scriptures when he when he when he said have you not read what was spoken to you by god I mean, that's the highest view of the scriptures you could possibly have. And you and I both know that is not the view of the vast majority of teach, people teaching in what is called Christian education, seminaries, colleges right. around the world today. 
How are we to know yeah. what God thinks? Well, he yeah. wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> he put it in our language. He made us able to speak and read and then communicated with us. What an amazing concept that might be. Right. Well, you know, I, I think we both very much want everyone uh, that listens to us speak and listens to us preach. We want to get out of the way and, and let the word be the word. We want people to know this is what we believe. This is God's revelation. It will never, ever lead you astray. You can't do that if you don't have a, a love for that word yourself. And right. so uh, I'm, I'm thankful, very, very thankful for the upbringing and the testimony of godly men under whom I have sat. And, and yet, obviously, it comes down to the Spirit of God who, uh, who births that love and maintains that love within our hearts. Yeah. And obviously, that's what I pray for my children, my grandchildren as well, because that's the only way they're going to stand firm in an ever uh, more difficult situation, um, especially within the uh, the Western culture as it uh, yeah. uh, continues the, in its rebellion. Unless the Lord gives us taste buds, we cannot know that his word is sweet. That's true. And, that's true. But he does, right? That's what the gospel—that's what— preaching the gospel brings is taste buds to a world that has lost everything. Doug, I really appreciate your time. I, I would love to keep on going, but uh, we've got a program coming up in five minutes that we're right. going to be doing. So I, um, I really, honestly, uh, I cannot wait till I, 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 well, let's put it this way. Let's just hope that in the not too distant future, we can reschedule everything that we had to call off in the midst of this panic. Right. Um, and uh, I pray the Lord will continue to bless what you're all doing up there. We're all learning new things. Uh, <laughs> pray for us at, at uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries and Apology at Church as well. Uh, we're all facing uh, challenges and we need wisdom from God. Amen. All right. Thanks for your time today. Thank right. you. God bless. Bye bye.